Welcome to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. Our aim is to encourage, equip, and inspire women to be deeply rooted in Jesus. In each episode, we will discuss relevant topics that help us apply the gospel to our everyday living. We're your hosts, Diane and Ethan Jago. Welcome back. We are going to get started right away because we have a lot of content to cover today as we talk about being a disciple. Ethan, do you want to get us started with this (laughs) mysterious icebreaker that I'm kind of nervous about? Got a series of questions that Diane has no clue what they are yet. And some of them we're going to say at the same time, and the others we're just going to kind of answer. And y'all will be able to kind of get more of an understanding of who we are. So first question, if we started a duo music group, what would our name be? Three, two, one. Icebreaker. The Clutch Brothers. What? I don't know. What did you say? Icebreaker. Icebreakers? I said the Clutch Brothers. I don't even know if that's a thing. I just thought of something that popped in my head. Like, like that's cool. That's clutch. Yeah, it probably does. All right, next one. Is clutch a word? Yeah, like, that's cool. Oh, Oh, that's clutch. I'm so behind the times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if it actually is anymore, but it used to be. All right, here we go. Count of three. We're going to answer this question. If we could only eat one kind of food for the rest of our lives, what would it be? Three, two, one. Pizza. Okay. Cheese pizza. That could work. Okay. All right. Question for you, Diane. What is the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you? Drove off with the gas pump still in my car. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? How many times did you do that, though? Once. I thought you did it twice. Oh, Maybe twice. I don't know. Man, I'm so- I don't like how I'm sounding to our listeners right. right now. My most embarrassing thing was my parents were enrolling me for second grade, and there was one of those super tall ladders. Oh, this is a good one. And this girl in front of me, little girl, were in second grade. I was, you know, how the, the super tall handrails are. You have to reach up high so you can go fast. As I'm moving up super fast, my hand must have somehow gripped her dress on the handrail, and she literally ran out of her dress. <laughs> Up onto the top of the slide and slid down. So here I am at the top of the slide holding this little girl's dress. And I look down. This is in second grade. And I look down. <laughs> I see her. And I about lost my mind. I threw the dress and I ran back down the stairs. And I ran inside oh. thinking I was going to get in trouble. And that was at a, like a really conservative school. Yes. So that's our fun icebreaker. So, Diane, what are we talking about today? We are talking about being a disciple, discipleship discipling as okay. i mentioned before and so basically being a follower of jesus what that looks like for us what that looks like for the people around us that god has entrusted us with so we've broken this down into five stages and not that this is like a, a checklist like oh i've completed stage one now i've moved to stage two now i moved to stage three this is something that we've just been able to put a name to uh, so it's just helpful for us to recognize as we are going through the discipleship process, whether we're discipling someone or we ourselves are being discipled, we can kind of just recognize what's going on and kind of how this happens naturally. So these phases that we're going to be talking about, it happens interchangeably. So as we go through this, guys, don't think, oh, well, I think I'm in, currently in stage three. We're always going through this. The only one that we definitely have to get a check mark on is stage one. And what is that, Diane? It's salvation. Um, you can't be in discipleship until conversion takes place in your life as an individual. And so um, in order to be a disciple, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to believe in Jesus and commit your life to him. And we have a verse for that, right, Di? The verse is in Luke 9, 23, which says, Then he said to them all, which is Jesus, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So we see here a clear 
illustration of to enter in, well, first off, to be a disciple, one has to be born again. One has to be a Christian. And I always like to say, too, there, there should be a definitive time in your life in which you can identify, yes, this was the day in which I was converted. You may not know the exact, I don't know the exact day. Yeah. I know, I know the month and I know the events of what happened, but I couldn't say on March the 31st at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. That's just not how my mind works. So yeah. we just need to make sure that in everyone listening that there was a time in which you can distinctly remember that you have put away the old self, your priorities have changed and your life has now changed and you are seeking after God. And if that's something you're not sure about, just go back to episode one, listen to what is the gospel and consider what it is that God calls us to. The great thing about salvation is it comes from hearing, comes from reading, and it comes from believing. And we see us currently, especially with the events that are happening, man, I mean, media is everywhere right now, and especially the church. And I see so much content getting put out by all of our friends within the Christian ministry, all the churches. It's great because, man, everyone is now having the ability to be able to hear the gospel right now, which is awesome. So stage one, salvation. What's stage two, Di? Stage two is spiritual growth. Let me ask you this. What is a hobby that you have recently taken up? I don't like to do exercising, but I recently started doing it again. Okay. So when you first start into getting back into exercising, what are some things that you do? I have to actually be consistent. I have to practice at it. I mean, I think of an athlete. What does he do? He doesn't just go from starting to the Olympics. He's practicing. He's training, just trying to improve upon and build upon like those baby skills. Yeah. And you're growing. And one thing that also that I've noticed that you've been doing a lot of, especially with our daughters, is you've been doing painting again. And painting takes skill. Painting takes time. And, you know, if I was to pick it up right now, I guarantee I couldn't do it. But as the more I try and hone and refine my skills, I'll continue to grow in that. And I think a great verse we see here uh, is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae. And he says this, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul is praying to the church in Colossae that they will be filled, that God will fill them with the knowledge of his will. Continually. There. Yeah, that's a key word. Continually, which notes constant. It's a constant growth. It's not a, yeah, you've done it once and you're good. You're always trying to improve. You know, what is, what's one skill, Diane, that you have been doing for a while that you're continually honing on? I would say photography. When I first picked up my camera, I remember taking a black and white film class and I was learning how to shoot manually. And I was so frustrated with just how to use this camera that didn't have, you know, autofocus. And it wasn't like this digital thing where like even like an iPhone where it's easy to take a picture. And I remember asking you for help because you had taken a photo class. Man, it was so difficult for me to learn. But after years of practicing, eventually, obviously, I got it. But years of practicing now, the things that I had to think about, the light coming in, how fast the shutter should be, all those different factors, they come so naturally to me. I don't even have to think about it when I'm taking a picture now. But you're still learning, though. There's still... Yes, I'm definitely still learning. You've definitely grown out of your infancy. You've gotten into more of like the professional level now, but you're still trying to attain mastery at it. Yes, definitely. So same thing in our spiritual lives, right? Like we've grown out of our infancy you know, we accepted Christ. Awesome. Salvation done. We're good. And that is why I was saying earlier that these stages are constantly happening. 
Uh, stage one has already happened. You won't ever have to do stage one again. But stage two, I mean, dude, it, it's just consistently going on. You, you can never reach that point and you're like, I'm good. And if you think you're at that point, you probably need to reassess yourself. I think that's where that part of the Christian walk is frustrating for me because I'll see an area of sin in my life or I'll see an area where I'm like, okay, I know I can improve upon this part and I just want an instant fix. I want to be sanctified immediately. I don't want to have to go through the slow process of growth. And yet, what does God do when we're in that process? He teaches us a lot. He calls us to depend on him and he helps us realize that our growth isn't of our own doing. It's coming from him. And so that kind of dependence um, can frustrate me sometimes because I just want to be independent. Yeah. And one verse that always challenges me is we see the call, be holy as I am holy. Mm -hmm. And as Christians upon, you know, our regeneration and our salvation, we're seeking after to understand God's will and to understand what is it that God has for me here and how can I continually grow in the knowledge of what he wants for me and making sure that I am in that. And also, how am I uh, beating my body into submission to try and become holy, which Obviously, we're not going to attain here on earth in these bodies, but that is something we're definitely working for. And I'm not getting into a form of legalism here, guys. That's not what I'm saying is I'm just saying we should be striving for our actions, our minds and our thoughts to be Christ-like, mm -hmm. Christ-minded. Because I would say that's the end goal of our sanctification process. That's the purpose of our spiritual growth. That's the purpose of our salvation is to make us Christ-like so that we will be standing before God counted righteous. Yeah. And what's cool too, is looking back on when Diane and I first got married, we were both pretty young. I would definitely say we were spiritual babies because I had been a Christian now for, even though I was raised in a Christian home, I'd been a Christian for maybe three years at that time. But I still, I was so consumed with my career and everything. I was going to church, but I wasn't really seriously studying it because I just didn't give myself the time. And then you and I both got together. And I remember when we moved from Spokane, Washington down to California you approached me and you had done this a few times before. And what was it that you always wanted me to talk to you about? Just spiritual things. I just wanted to talk about what was God teaching you. Um, and I wanted to be able to share what God was teaching me. Yeah. And I didn't want to. I thought that that was something between me and God. I didn't want to talk to you about that. Just, I don't know, man. You're growing up. I always thought that that was a, you know, people who said like, oh, well, God's really teaching me. I honestly... I looked at them with a negative light, thinking that they were just trying to brag about themselves. But you faithfully prayed for me and were working and you were patient with me. And you would sit down and you would talk to me. And it, it's not that I wasn't doing these things. Mm -hmm. I wasn't comfortable to talk to you about that. But as we grew spiritually, I remember I started to pray about it because you kept challenging me. I'm like, you know what? If I want to lead Diane spiritually, I need to be the spiritual leader. And I'm not doing that right now. And my wife's challenging me, which... Man, it was such a huge Kickstarter for me in the ministry because shortly after that, Diane, we were in California. What did we end up getting involved in down there? We ended up serving in the middle school ministry. Yeah. So that, that gets us into stage three then. So stage three is serving. And Diane and I, as we moved to California and we were growing in our growth, we, d we felt the need and the call to start serving. And like our last episode is we started to serve in our local church. And I mean, when we went there, did you even think we would ever wanted to lead middle school? No, but we saw that there was a need for yeah. it and it was just a natural 
because when, yeah, when we first got there, there was no middle school youth pastor at the time. Mm-hmm. We said, hey, we want to serve. And they said, hey, we don't have anybody for middle school. Like they had a good leadership team, but they needed some people that could teach or talk and help. And so Diane and I stepped up and, and then they hired a middle school youth pastor who was awesome. And what's really cool about, you know, we serve there is these kids, I call them kids, they're college age now. And it's such a trip like to see these i remember them when fifth and sixth grade like little squirts to me <laughs> and now they're adults you know they're in college and so that's this next stage is stage three and being able and you should have the desire to serve so dan what is a great example for us on how we see a demonstration of serving happen within the bible just thinking about jesus serving his disciples is one of the best examples. One of the last things that he did before he left the earth was to wash the feet Uh. of the people around him. In John 13, it says, when he had finished washing our feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do this as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus, who's God the Son, second person in the Trinity, humbling himself. One, I think that's a huge thing when you look at. He humbled himself and he scrubbed and washed the dirty feet of man that he made from dirt. That wouldn't even ping on the scale of like adequate, like levelness with the creator of the universe, which is why if you remember when Peter's like, don't touch my feet. And he's like, dude, I've got to do this for you. And he's like, fine, then wash my whole body. Mm -hmm. I just like that kind of servanthood is insane to me. And how much more should we be doing that in a way with our church? And let's just not even talk about serving the church. How can we be serving other people, especially believers, especially Christians? What are ways we can serve other Christians? We have a friend. Okay, so we were moving from our house to the house that we're in now. And this friend has five kids. She already has such a servant's heart because they are a foster adopt family. Um, They have biological kids of their own, but they just have such generous hearts. And so she texted me one day and was like, hey, let me watch your kids so that you guys can move your stuff. And we thought that she was going to be coming, like that her husband would be watching the kids. Well, he got called into something that day. Her other childcare fell through. She came with her five kids, picked up our three kids, and took all eight kids to the beach, took them to the rest to a restaurant, took them to a park. And someone even asked if she was a Girl Scout leader because <laughs> she had different ages, genders. Well, she's got one of the, they've got one of those huge like sprinter vans with seats and as she loaded them up, I remember saying to her, I don't know how you're able to do this. I, felt I couldn't so do that. bad. We didn't want her to take them, but she did and she just No, we kinda did. <laughs> well, it was did. nice. It was nice. It was helpful, very helpful. Yeah. But she has a servant's heart, and that's not. I mean, there's so many things that she's done specifically to help other people, but that's one yeah. massive act that was a blessing to us. Yeah. So, guys, think about ways you guys can be serving uh, each other, the church, and just when anyone has needs, and we see that actually come out in Acts as they all lived in common and no one had need of anything because they were constantly serving each other 
And the thing about service is that it's never something that we're doing for accolade or to post about and show people, look here what I'm doing. The only way, because naturally when we think about self, we don't, my natural tendency is I don't want to serve people above myself. I, myself comes first. And so service is just this natural overflow because of our love for Jesus and the recognition of what he did for us. That changes the way that we see other people. Our eyes are open to needs. We begin to see the importance of loving one another. And um, service just becomes this act that we're doing for Jesus. As we're serving others, we are serving Jesus. And I definitely think that plays into our spiritual growth as well. There will be so much of a spiritual growth buildup, which we're going to get into our one of our last stages here, that you're going to want to serve. But as you do this, though, and I know this has happened in the past to us, is as we're serving and as we're growing spiritually, we hit kind of a roadblock. We hit those rough times, which leads us to the next phase, which is suffering. First Peter 4, 12 to 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is, I think sometimes when we think about suffering, obviously the forms that we think about in scripture are persecution and um, just the the terrible ways that the early church had faced as they professed to be Christians and were martyred and their possessions were robbed and just different things happening to the early church. But this verse, First Peter, the fiery trials, the suffering that is occurring here, it's all encompassing. Like it's not just the persecution and the, the martyring, it's the insults, it's the pain that we face, it's the chronic illness, it's the everyday hurts of this world, the same suffering that Jesus faced when he came down to earth. We have creator God coming down. The moment that he wailed that first cry as a baby, he experienced suffering because he was in a broken, fallen earth. I had a verse too I wanted to share that I absolutely think ties into this. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think we as Christians, we definitely need to be prepared uh, that we will know that we will end our suffering because the Bible has been very clear about this, especially the verse that you read in First Peter. And we've just got to be able to accept the fact that this is happening and accept that this is a part of God's plan. If God is all powerful and God controls everything, then God is allowing this to happen. And we need to be able to look back and say, why has God allowed this to happen? However, we also need to make sure that we un at least can process or fathom the thought that we may not ever know why something has come to pass. And it's not our job to know. Our job is to, like you said, have the mind of Christ. And as Paul here in Philippians writes, we need to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And that can only happen from spiritual growth. As you know, those of you listening, I am sure you have experienced suffering on probably a huge significant manner or even in a smaller one, you may be thinking, well, it's not really that bad. Everyone gets affected differently by the different forms of suffering. And how we respond in those times of suffering is really what kind of shows us how we are doing in our spiritual walk. I'm not saying like if someone dies, you're like, eh, whatever, they're going to heaven. No, like that definitely affects us. But I'm talking more along like when you are personally being ridiculed for standing up for your faith, uh, you, you say something and you get fired for it. You know, you take that stand and suffering happens. Granted, 
in the Western world, that is a, a very minute thing compared to what's happening to Christians in other countries. But it's just something we need to be prepared for and know that that will happen throughout the entirety of the Christian life while we're here on the earth. And then lastly, stage five, bearing much fruit. I think this one is this one's fun because as, as you are going and progressing in your walk with Christ, you're going through the spiritual growth, you're serving in the church, you're serving other people, you've gone through some suffering, you're still growing spiritually. But notice what I'm saying here is you're, you're progressing. You're not going back and walking away from the faith. You're, you're constantly staying in this cycle, trying to grow and grow and grow. And as this is happening, you're also going to be bearing fruit. Yeah, the perfect chapter to kind of summarize this to me is John 15. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so this is not an optional thing. Fruit bearing isn't just for some Christians and and not for others. No, fruit bearing is the proof for every Christian. It's our assurance. It is what proves that we're his disciples. He says that later in John 15. Um, And the purpose of it is so that we can love one another. And this is where it just comes full circle because as we grow in Christ with that spiritual growth, because of our salvation, we're going to be able to love one another around us. And I mean, even later in John 15, he talks about how the world, if the world hated him, the world will hate us. And so where we're getting hate from the world in that suffering we're getting love from our brothers and sisters as they're serving us and they're building us up and we're just being unified as a church body. So it's kind of cool how all of this really connects together. I want to say that as we're, we're bearing fruit, one aspect of being a disciple and also discipleship that I see really stand out to me is leadership. If, if we are truly of Christ and we are serving, we're doing all this stuff, we are demonstrating to other people within the church other people, regardless of where they are in their spiritual journey, you may have a, you know, the mature, the most mature Christian ever in the church and you're bearing fruit and your leadership can affect them in a positive way. I've learned a lot from the college age that I serve along with. I learned a ton from them. And if I ever think that I can't learn from them, then I am ineffective as a leader. So the thing is though, to be careful about is that when we are discipling other people, they need to see a clear demonstration of what it looks like to be a disciple, especially if they are just entering or past stage one, where they just became a Christian. So if we are going to be, you you may think to yourself, I am not a leader. I'm a good follower. If you bear the brand of Christ, you are in fact a leader and you are called to be a leader in whatever passive way it is, you are called to do that. So I, I just think it's great Uh, that we see that happening of bearing fruit. We're going through this suffering. We're serving each other. We're serving the church. We're growing spiritually. I mean, it's all really got to just, it's just a constant cyclic circle that is just constantly going. Here's the other thing about bearing fruit. I think, I mean, what are the fruits of the spirit? I love talking about this with our kids, but like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We might be in a season where, especially if you're like a mother of kids, you just feel like you're lacking patience. You feel like you're lacking self-control. Or maybe um, you're a daughter in a household full of family members and you guys are just fighting all the time. We can bear fruit in seasons 
like this. Our fruit bearing is not dependent upon our circumstances. It's not dependent upon what's happening in the world, whether there's a global pandemic or not, whether things are going really well for you or right now you're walking a really tough road. Bearing fruit is possible in all seasons. And I think that's the beauty of um, a relationship with Jesus is that we have access to peace. We have access to joy and to patience amidst these different seasons. And all we have to do is ask. We ask God, if you feel like you're lacking those things, ask and you will receive. These are the things that he desires for us and he wants to see worked within us. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us in that process. And so as you're bearing fruit, you'll be able to endure the suffering. You'll be able to love your neighbor, serve your neighbor. And so like Ethan mentioned, it just all comes full circle and it all works together. There's not one stage that's better than the other. It just all works together to be a disciple so that you can go and make disciples. I'm going to read a quote from, if you've never read Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I highly suggest you read Bonhoeffer. Uh, This is from his book uh, on discipleship. And he says, the disciple's answer is not a spoken confession of faith in Jesus. Instead, it is the obedient deed. The deed of discipleship, guys, and the sharing of the gospel must be obeyed for Christians to properly align themselves with Christ and to constantly be seeking after the mind of Christ. Ethan, I just have a few questions that maybe some of our readers are probably thinking about. How do you recommend going about discipling someone? Do you go up to someone and you're like, hey, I'd like to disciple you, or what does that look like? I think it depends on the person, one who is feeling the need to disciple someone, and then the reciprocal person as well. If I had some guy just come up to me in the season of life that I was at in like fifth grade, just say, hey, Ethan, I want to disciple you. I probably uh, would have said, yeah, but I would have been very nervous and wouldn't want to have done it. However, if this was a person in which they've engaged me on a friend level, they've built a relationship and there's trust because you got to think like anyone, I don't care how old you are, you need trust with the other person. I can't just cold hit a person, come up here and just say, hey, Diane, I'm going to disciple you. When I haven't given any effort into getting to know you, getting to know who you are, and then you getting to know who I am. So look at the people in which you are currently friends with. It may not be a super close friendship, but you see them all the time at church or at the gym or wherever it is that you're at. Like, you know what? God's laid on my heart, this individual, and pray about it. And then just slowly as you make an intentions to get to know that person better, and then it will just naturally happen. I don't think that there ever needs to be a formal time, which... I'm going to enter into a stage of discipleship with you, Diane. Uh, go ahead and sign this contract, and we're going to go ahead and begin. No, it just happens naturally. And when I look back on my life, there was a few guys that discipled me, and I didn't even realize what was happening at mm. the time. But now looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that guy was definitely discipling me, and I had no clue. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's probably the best way uh, to do it is just let it happen naturally. Yeah, another question that I've heard just other girlfriends talk about is like how, because we know we want to be Titus two women and the older teaching the younger. What if we don't have an older person in our life that's pouring into us? What should I do? And just from our experience in the military and moving around to different churches, I've found sometimes the best thing for, at least in my case, being a younger woman is just to go up to an older woman and simply ask her. Before I do that, I'm usually observing to see what she's like, like maybe I'll be involved in a Bible study and I'll kind of just observing her and seeing, is this someone that I admire, I'm inspired by? Um, Is this someone that I would want to be mentored by? And then from there, just praying about it, going up to her. And it's been such a blessing because 
I think sometimes older women feel like younger women don't want to learn from me. And so when I've just gone up to them and said, hey, this is a little bit awkward, but I've been praying about it. I'd love for you to pray about it too. It's broken the ice and it's really opened the door for some really awesome relationships. But at the same time too, though, you've done that and it's not gone very well. Yes. There's been times where I've um, put feelers out there or I've asked and the response has been, no, I'm sorry. I have nothing to offer you. And it might feel awkward if someone were to say that to you, but the reality is if they're not ready to do it, then they might, they're probably not the right person for you. So just go into it, trusting that the Lord will lead and open doors as he desires. So thank you so much for joining us on our Rooted in Christ series, What is Discipleship? Uh, we hope that as you have listened to this, if you need to go back and kind of re-hit some of these verses and these passages, or also just look in the show notes, um, you know, we, we really want you guys to get back into the scripture, to find out what the truth is, be good Bereans, to get you into the scriptures, and then really focus on what the scriptures say. I want to say one more thing, guys, before I close out here, is we want to have an episode where you guys can ask us questions, and I want to be able to play your voices on the air and a way to do that is if you go to the website anchor.fm and you do forward slash deeply rooted mag, uh, you can see us on there and then you can send us a voice message. If you do send us a voice message, try to keep it within 30 to 40 seconds. And you can ask us any kind of relevant Bible question, personal question, and then we'll play it on our episode and then we'll answer it. And we just would really love to hear from you guys to see where it is that you guys want to see this podcast continue to go because we have ideas as well. And then also just a way for us to actually answer questions. So thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you again next week. I'm not